Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. And Raja Bell. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What is going on? Happy New Year. Welcome to 2018. Thanks for checking us out. It's Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Raja Bell. Now, if you came here to listen to Raja, you got to give us one more week because my man's an NBA baller. And you know how these NBA guys roll. Like, they need days off. They don't do back-to-backs. And you know what else they need? Really long holidays on Christmas and New Year. So Raja will be back on Friday, though. Happy he's having, hope he's having a good time with his family. But to help me hold it down, I got my boy Debo. We got Hannah Ostopchuk with us today. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you doing? Happy Not New too Year. bad. I'm out in uh, Los Angeles. It's uh, it's pretty nice out here when we're taping this. It's bright and early. It's still dark out. <laughs> but everybody talks about the New Year. It's about New Year's resolutions, right? And well, we there's know yours. always, yeah, everybody <laughs> blows them too early, no matter what. And I felt like mine made it about five minutes because my New Year's resolution was to be, I don't want to say likable, better. Just not as annoying on Twitter because I get I get sucked into these fans, these college football fans. They suck me in and I can't get out. And then I'll be arguing with some random fan in Alabama and everybody can see it play out. And sometimes it doesn't look the best. And of course, with the way the playoff worked out, I look like a complete jerk. (laughs) So you lasted one day. I saw your tweet yesterday. You said something about how. You didn't make it very far in your resolution, and it, it cracked me up because oh, I know brutal. we even talked about this on one of the last episodes of 2017. So, How'd you do? What's yours? I don't even know what my resolution is, but I can help oh. you with yours. <laughs> Let me yeah. tell you that. <laughs> so um, do I need – I'll have the tweet set up in the drafts, and I'll screenshot it, and I'll say, should I press send? Yes, like, send it to me every time. I'll tell you. No, you know, what's funny. My new year's resolution should be that I should tweet more. So like I said before, you and I need to meet somewhere in the middle. All right. I don't tweet I'll enough be, unless it's about nice. like the bills, which is so embarrassing. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I told you guys that I was in LA because I was here for the Rose Bowl and it was one of the best games I've ever seen. I'm sure nobody missed it, but here was a highlight. Now it's Michelle's turn running all the way. Gets to the edge. Tony Michelle will send the dogs home to the championship game. It was epic. And I'll tell you guys, so I was at the game, I was at the Rose Bowl, and I was doing some stuff for Sirius, and I watched the first three quarters from the press box. And the press box sucks. Like, it's the (laughs) worst place to watch a game. It's so true. Because everybody's in there, and they've got their laptops, and they're prim and proper, and they don't want to cheer because you're not supposed to cheer. You're not allowed to cheer. no, like, and, and you can't even really, like, get excited. Like, there's a little murmur if, you know, Sony Michelle rattles off a 70-yard run, and, like, people be like, ooh, but it's not, like, going nuts, and the windows were closed, which made it worse. That's so awful. I'm watching the game, I'm like, this is awful, but the best thing I did was we had to do some post-game interviews. So with about six minutes left in the game, we worked our way down to the field and got on the sideline, and I was sitting right in the end zone in the bat in the overtime was right there, right under the goalpost. Like when they blocked the kick, I took a video of it. When they blocked the kick, the kick ended up like the ball ended up rolling right by my feet. Like it was epic. It is it is one of the prettiest backdrops. It's just the pageantry of the Rose Bowl, the flyover before the game. 
And then just like the the game itself, like you, you could have played that game in a sandlot and people would have, you know, just gone nuts because it was such a great game. But it was the backdrop of it was insane. I don't know. Have you, have you guys ever been to a Rose Bowl? Have you ever been out to L.A. for that? I no, I wanted to last year for the big Penn State game, but glad I did not. Yeah, Debo. So I'm curious to hear your because don't I feel like that game because it wasn't a playoff, the Penn State USC game like was almost just as good. But and, like it'll get forgotten about in the bigger picture because it it was only just a Rose Bowl. It wasn't a playoff game. You're absolutely right. And there was a similar collapse. Georgia actually came back, and theirs was the biggest comeback in Rose Bowl history that USC won last year. Yeah, you you want to forget it because USC won that game. That's what that's what's hard for you. That's Fiesta Bowl champs, Danny. Fiesta Bowl champs. Ah, that's right. That was impressive against Washington. They shut, they, they they held it down pretty good. When I looked at the game though with Georgia and Oklahoma, so I picked both games wrong which I'm kind of pissed at myself, not for the Oklahoma-Georgia one, because I still feel like Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield was a really good pick. Like, I don't feel like I feel like an idiot. Like, sometimes you feel like an idiot, and I do for picking Clemson against Bama. But for Georgia-Oklahoma, that like, the way it played out, and Georgia, like, I hate taking credit away from a team that won, because they did. They had an awesome performance. They were able to run all over George, uh, Oklahoma's defense, which we knew. They came up with a big... Uh, field goal block in overtime um shoot i mean even their kicker rodrigo blankenship had a 55 yarder before half which kind of shift the momentum but in saying all that i really feel like oklahoma blew that game like they had every opportunity they were up 17 and in the third quarter they had four possessions where they came out four times they had the ball in the third in the third quarter in every single drive, they opened it with a run, and all none of them went more than three yards. It was like a one-yard run, a three-yard run, a two-yard run, and a one-yard run to open up the third quarter, which I thought kind of like was emblematic of the, the their timid nature. And they the reason they had so much success in the first half was they came out like just flying, tempo, no huddle, throwing the ball, trick plays, everything was working. And then they came out in the third quarter. It was almost like Lincoln Riley, the head coach, didn't have anything left in the arsenal. Like he had, he had played it all. And then they're running some of the same plays. And to George's credit, they started to get after Baker Mayfield, which he's – and it, it's, it, I feel like people are looking at Baker saying, well, you know, they, they showed how you stop him. That's how you stop any quarterback. When you start getting pressure up front with your front four the way Georgia did with their defensive line, that's going to make any quarterback look average. And that's what you had in the third quarter. Now, what I thought was impressive about Baker, and this is one of the reasons I like him uh, at the next level, is after he threw the interception, which was a bad throw, he had a guy in his face and he overthrew it right to the safety and it led to a Georgia score when they returned it down to the two or three. But after that, it didn't phase him one bit. Like he came back and made some really good throws and, you know, got them back to a tie game. So I, I wouldn't have any concerns about Baker going forward. But I just feel like this is a game that Lincoln Riley is going to have a long, hard time getting over. Like it's when he goes back and looks at overtime and the first possession, when they run it three times in a row and don't give the best player in the country a chance to win the game and put the ball in his hands, I think he's going to be shaking his head saying, man, what kind of opportunity did I miss out on? Do you guys, do you guys feel the same way, or do you think it's, hey, Georgia was clearly the better team, they deserve to win? I felt really bad for Baker Mayfield that whole time. I know he's getting a, a lot of flack right now, but I, I just 
I respect him as a quarterback, and I, I, I felt bad for him, especially in that, in that post-game press conference. Do you, do you feel like he's – so his attitude gets a lot of heat. Like, he, he, yeah. like people either love him or hate him. I love him. Like I, and the, and um, the player for Davin Bellamy D- for Georgia after the game. humble himself what? a little bit? <laughs> a little bit? So, no, see, I think here's I the thing. So. Like, I don't think you can ask him to change who he is. Like, if you're an NFL team and you're drafting him, I don't think you try to change his personality. I'll never forget. So I called his first game for ESPN. I was the, uh, the color analyst for his first game at Texas Tech when he was Ooh, okay. a walk-on. First game he ever played. And I remember talking to Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach for Texas Tech, about him on the field before the game. And I was like, who is this walk-on? Like, you guys are, like, your guys' season must be shot. You have to start this walk-on. Like, you guys <laughs> must be screwed. And Cliff was kind of like, yeah, we'll see. Like, I think he's pretty good. And I was like, all right. He only did, <laughs> so he goes out there, throws for 400 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. But you know the thing that I remembered about him? A couple times after he threw those touchdowns, he's like, shooting his pistols off, like celebrating, talking trash, oh, like, pew, 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 pew. like, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is a walk on <laughs> who's out here, you know, celebrating, running around. And it's who he is. Like, it really is who he is. He'll get humbled. That's the thing, Debo, to your question. He'll get humbled by the NFL. Yeah. And it'll be kind of like Cam Newton. Like, and if you, if you look at Cam Newton, like he loves to talk trash. He loves to go out there. He loves to dab. He loves to have fun. But you know what? And this is to Baker's credit. After the game, they asked him about those comments when Davin Bellamy said, hey, do you, he should humble himself. And Baker looked at the press and said, you know what? They shut me up. Like, they, they, they made me stop. And that's the truth. And if he handles it like that, I think it'll, I think it'll work out, like, just fine for him. Like, I don't think he has to change who he is. And I, I think his teammates will thrive off that because there is more trash talk than people even know about yeah. on the field. I agree. I like his energy. Like, I think there's no shame in acting a fool a little bit, as long as, you know, you're respectful. But I think it's cool that he was able to say, they shut me up. I mean, yeah. the yeah. height's going to be a discussion moving forward to the next level in terms of on the field, but off the field with the GM interviews at the Combine. Danny, you had a chance to sit down with him last month, and you, as cliche as it is, described it kind of as that moxie that he possesses. Do you think NFL teams will like his level of moxie? Yeah, I think they want a guy who comes in and owns a room, and he does that. Like, and, did I tell you guys the Altoids story? Gun, or Altoids. <laughs> yeah, did I tell you that? That's what I told it. Not like, on we air. Were, so we come, we, we're doing, we were interviewing with Sirius. It was the Friday before the Heisman Trophy, and we had Lamar Jackson, Bryce Love, and Baker Mayfield. They all came through, and they were sitting there like we were finishing up a segment. So I was talking to my co-host, Jason Horowitz, and Baker's kind of waiting to go on air. And he's kind of sitting there. He's looking around, and people are starting to notice who he is. And I have some Altoids, which are right in front of me. Like, there's a little thing of Altoids right in front of me. And he, like, walks over, reaches across the table, doesn't look, doesn't, like, he says, kind of nods and says, like, what's up? And just grabs them, takes one, and just, like, smiles and, like, like he, like he owned my Altoids is basically <laughs> what happened. But it's, like, that sort of I can do whatever I want, which is great, but it might get him into trouble. I think, like, but for him to go into a room, I think he'll impress with his confidence. Like, you have to have confidence. I mean, look at what's going on with Nick Foles. His confidence is shattered right now with the Eagles. Mm-hmm. You have to have confidence to be able to go in and own an NFL locker room. But ultimately, he'll have to earn the respect of his teammates. And that's the thing. That's that balance where if he comes in and he struggles and he acts like that, all those NFL veterans in that locker room are like, who's this dude thinks he owns the world and doesn't play? Right. But I think his play will back it up because it always has in college. And I think it'll carry over to the next level. 
how close were the Altoids? Were they clearly in your personal space? <laughs> oh, or yeah. Was no, it yeah. They were right the in open? front of me. Yeah, okay. they were right it in front like... of me, the Altoids were. And he just basically said, I'm going to come and take it. Like, he stole my girl. Like, that's kind of what it was like. It was like the dude at the bar, like, who has a kind of a friend that's a girl, and he thinks he has a chance. And then the quarterback comes in and starts talking to her, and he ends up going home with her. That's kind of what it was like with my I Altoids. I feel like this is a really good opportunity to, like, set a trap like I, like if, if I'm ever around him, I'm gonna just have multiple cases of Altoids around and just right. like put them everywhere and see what he can do. Honestly, <laughs> the front offices would probably love to hear that anecdote to evaluate him somehow, which might right. not be a good thing, but they might put stock in that story. Well, speaking of traps, do you remember when it was just like three weeks ago? He had to change his phone number because Georgia fans somehow mysteriously got his cell phone number. And I asked him about it on air. I was like, how'd Georgia get your number? I was like, she must have been pretty hot, right? And he didn't, he didn't say no. Like, like I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, of course that's what <laughs> Yes. That's what happened with his cell phone number. So that game, I didn't feel bad about my pick on that one. The other one, the Sugar Bowl, I felt like an idiot. And here's why. That was my boy Joe Tessator on the call. So I was making picks, and when we did ours with Aaron Murray, when we did our uh, preview, I picked Clemson. But I will say this. My advice to everyone was avoid this game as a gambler. So at least I have that one. I said don't bet on it. And the reason I started to hedge a little bit before was because I looked back at the stats from what Deshaun Watson did, who was monstrous in the last two games versus Alabama. He had eight touchdowns, one interception. He was so good. And then I looked at the stats for Kelly Bryant, uh, who's the quarterback now for Clemson, and he was very pedestrian on the year. He was good, and he did a good job filling in, leading them to a season, but he only had 13 touchdowns and six interceptions. And to beat Alabama, you have to have somebody special playing quarterback. And I, I mean, and it played out exactly that way as Kelly Bryant struggled against one of the best defenses in the country. He was 16 of, or 18 of 36, 50% passing. Only had 124 yards and, of course, the really costly interceptions. But I'm going to tell you guys this. Alabama just won the national championship this past weekend because them having to face Georgia is the perfect matchup for them. I would have loved to have seen Baker Mayfield versus uh, in that offense versus Alabama's defense, but Georgia is the perfect matchup for Alabama. It's exactly what Alabama faces every week in the SEC. It's just going to be another SEC slugfest. And Alabama wins those almost every single time. I'm not excited for that. I'm not either. I don't don't enjoy watching Alabama just dominate. I really wanted Clemson to win this game. I think a lot of people were rooting for Clemson. And when you said Clemson, I agreed with you. But I... I, I just don't I, don't, I don't care. I don't care now. I like don't <laughs> well, want to watch Alabama win. I do. I don't <laughs> see that. But I don't, it's not even me. It's not personal for Alabama. Like, I don't mind that they're, because they're incredible. Like what Nick Saban they has are. done, love him or hate him. It's a dynasty. He's going to be the greatest coach probably in the history of college football. He's definitely the last 20, 30 years. But, but it's not my problem with Alabama. It's the system which, which we've created because the SEC talk is going to be it's going to make you nauseous, and it already kind of is. We've only been a day removed from the game, and everybody's talking about it, mm-hmm. and they're already sending out tweets from the SEC network, and it's just it's not it, like it's not appealing. Yeah, it's appealing if you live in the South or your team plays in the Southeastern Conference, but there's 
a lot of the rest of the country, three quarters of the country, is going to watch this game like you, Hannah, and be like, I don't care that Alabama's playing Georgia. I would have, right. and me, pre- like from preference standpoint, I like to see diversity from a football perspective. Like, I, that's why I thought the Rose Bowl, that's why I thought the Rose Bowl rating will blow away the rating of the national championship game because people want to see different things going against each other. Like, they want to see, hey, this great offense from Oklahoma go against this epic defense from Alabama. And, yes, we could have had that if Oklahoma won that game. But the fact that there were two teams in the playoff was a huge mistake from the committee. And I think the one, maybe the one blessing in disguise from all of this is that because you're seeing two SEC teams in the title game, maybe that's what it'll get to get – change to what we're watching and we'll actually get to see a six or eight team playoff because Jim Delaney, the the conference commissioner from the Big Ten and Larry Scott, the conference commissioner of the Pac-12, have to be calling each other this week and being like, this is awful for us. We're going to be the odd man out every single year if we don't do something about it. And I think they'll put enough pressure on the playoff committee and the powers that be where we'll actually get that done. So that that for me is like the one blessing in disguise when you're looking at this whole thing, the way it's played out. It's driven me nuts because I don't think you should be able to backdoor your way in the, in the playoff the way Alabama did, not even winning their division and getting essentially a bye as the fourth seed. It just none of it makes sense. And I don't I don't know how anybody who truly loves college football can see it any other way. It's true. It gets boring. It get, like yeah. they're so exciting to watch, but it gets boring as a fan when your team isn't even considered ever. Because yeah. I mean, I I actually go against what you said before. Like you said, you you have no hate towards Alabama. Like I have so much <laughs> you hate do. towards Alabama. <laughs> I'm an Auburn fan. I'm a Syracuse fan. That's very weird. I know that doesn't Wait, matter. How are you an Auburn fan? Um, I just I've always liked Auburn. They're orange. The like Gus Bus. I'm all like similar. all aboard the Gus Bus. I just I like Auburn. Yeah, I got the same colors as Syracuse, you know. So I just didn't have to think twice. Just put my outfit on, and well, I was good to go. <laughs> speaking of like speaking of being a jerk on Twitter, this is why SEC fans hate me. Is because <laughs> that Auburn team I still think is the best team in the SEC because they beat both teams that Wait, are playing for the yes. championship. I was yes. gonna say this, and I I didn't like it's irrelevant. I know it's irrelevant, but but Auburn beat both Georgia and Alabama, and that just blows my mind that they. I mean, I know that they lost this past weekend, but it's it's you know that should be a topic of conversation. I support I support you bringing that up. Well, speaking of Auburn and how they did in their game, you just mentioned it, Hannah. They got worked by UCF. It was one of the best stories of the year. UCF running the the table. Scott Frost is going to Nebraska to be their head coach, but he stuck around. Here's what he said after the epic win. It wasn't right. I was watching every week the committee sit in a room and decide this two-loss team must be better than UCF because UCF's in the American, or this three-loss team must be better than UCF. It looked like a conscious effort to me to make sure that they didn't have a problem. If they put us too high on a couple teams ahead of us lost, they don't know now we got to put them in the playoff. Well, we just beat a team that beat two playoff teams and lost to another one by six points, and we beat them by seven. And Auburn's a great team. I'm not taking anything away from them. I give them a ton of credit. But these guys deserve everything they get, and they deserve more credit from the committee than what they got. I freaking love those comments from Scott Frost because he is calling out the committee. He's calling out the flaw in our system. He's defending his players and everything he said was 100% spot on. If I was standing there, I'd be, or if I was there, I'd be standing up doing like a slow clap, like just waiting for everyone to join in because I absolutely love what he had to say too. I could not agree more. 
did I would I would have done the slow clap. I would have been like jumping out of my chair saying, "You go, preach, preach." <laughs> Dan, Danny, you already took the selfie on the field. You gotta you gotta be a little. Yeah, that's true. I didn't know if that was very professional. I don't know how you guys felt about that, Hannah. You've uh, done selfie? some work on stuff. Yeah, You're like good. I just felt like screw it. It's the best because I was at the Rose Bowl. Lorenzo Carter, who was the guy who, for Georgia, the defensive lineman who blocked the field goal. I had just interviewed him. Everybody's in a good mood. I was like, screw it. I'm going to get a selfie at the Rose Bowl you know, with the guy who made it. the play, right? <laughs> I wouldn't do it, but I support people who do it. I just, I don't have the gumption to do that. I really don't. It, it's like I, baseball, unwritten rules of journalism, and it's the same demographic that just right. is very stuck up and, and would disapprove of that. But no, no, no. That's cares? not why I disapprove. Yeah, no. I just, I, I. You don't like selfies with two dudes in them? No, I just don't, I just don't want a selfie with. That's like me meeting, like, that's like me being at a restaurant and seeing Kim Kardashian being like, oh, let me get a selfie. No, I don't want to do Oh, that. it's not that bad. It's not that bad. He was in a good mood. Like, you're I wasn't right, you're right. him. You want to try to get a picture with Kim Kardashian? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I was, I've been high on UCF all year long. Like, I, because I, I watch them. So once you, when you cover teams in person, you know them on a more intimate level. Like, you get to talk to them, you watch them closer, you watch more film of them. So I watched them in week three. They were playing Maryland, and they blew Maryland out. But it wasn't even the fact with, that they were playing against Maryland that game. But watching their film, listening to Scott Frost talk, listening – I mean, Shaquem Griffin, you guys – the story of him as a linebacker awesome. for UCF who plays with one – like, he has a nub. He doesn't have a hand. It's his, He lost his hand when he was little. He had to have it surgically removed. So he plays with basically a nub on his wrist. It is the craziest thing you've ever seen. There's so many good stories across UCF. They have played that role of underdog so well, but they went, and this is what I love about them, they went from being the underdog that nobody respected to being the team that deserves everybody's respect. And the worst part about it is that Scott Frost is 100% right because the committee did not respect them one bit. And Bill Hancock, who I saw at the game of the Rose Bowl, and I went up to him and I said, can we get eight? And I've said it every time I see him, is we need to change the system. He had a quote after the game talking to ESPN. He said the selection committee respected UCF. That is the biggest bunch of BS I have ever heard. They're ranked number 12 to finish the season undefeated. And as Frost talked about, they had three lost teams ahead of them. It was ridiculous. And I, again, like this is why I think we need change. We need eight teams because we've got to get to a point where there's there's diversity and the little guys have a chance. And who cares if they get in and they get blown out by Alabama in the first round? Give them a chance because fans love the Cinderella story. They love seeing a team get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I know networks don't because sometimes they don't rate well if you do see a blowout. But screw the networks. Like we need to give these guys. They put their, their bodies on the line week in and week out. They do something as accomplished as what UCF does they should have a chance to, to prove themselves in a playoff and play for a championship. So your boy Hancock also said that each season stands on its own merit and it, last season doesn't reflect on this season. That <laughs> can't be true, right? Because the preseason no. rankings well, totally go against that. Not only that, but Alabama, you're telling me they don't live off their reputation from years past exactly. when they get in. And Wisconsin, who basically ran the table against a very similar schedule, is getting crushed all year long saying, oh, they haven't played anybody. And yet they dominated their entire schedule. There's so much hypocrisy in this whole thing. I just worry about it. Like I, I look at it and I say, when is the college football fan who is not in the Southeastern Conference, who, you know, when is that fan going to just get sick of it and turn it off. And I think you'll see that in the championship game. 
I think the ratings will bear it out. And again, like speaking of what makes change happen, I think that's what you'll see. I think I think you'll see the ratings impacted, and I think that's when the powers that be will say, uh-oh, maybe we do have a problem, and they'll start looking at it and say, all right, maybe it's time for a change. A little picks and props early edition here, but the last two years, Alabama versus Clemson in the national championship has garnered around 26 million viewers. Would you say over or under that number next Oh, Monday? under. Well, see, here's, here's the one thing, and if it's under, that is a huge red flag because the last – uh, no, that was the playoffs with the, with the New Year's Eve. But I, it's going to be under, and it's not even going to be close. Like I, I just think that when you lose the entire you know country west of the Mississippi, unless they're diehard college football fans, what they are, but there's a lot of casual fans who might just tune in to say, all right, and if they see a team from their conference or their region of the country, they might stay on the game. Those people are not going to want to watch it. It's a, it's a pseudo-SEC championship game which I don't think people are going to be interested in. I'm like a Tanner. So, I think it's just going to be. There are so many bandwagon Alabama fans, though. That's the only thing that would make me hesitate. Like, even in our office, I uh, <laughs> won't say any names, but there are people who wear Alabama hats. Like, they didn't go there. Why right. are you a fan? Well, it's like the but Patriots fans, like the Yankees fan. They're the bandwagon <laughs> fans who like to root for a winner. And I think that's why people like you start hating them because you're like, wait a second, you guys didn't even go there. Right. Like you hurricane fans. I know. I there. sound like the girl from Mean Girls. You can't say what All right. I wanted to wear so we're trying something new. So Hannah, it's your time to shine. Let's go to what's happening now with Hannah. All right, guys. Bill Snyder retired once from coaching, and it seems like he's reluctant to retire again. The Kansas State headman will return to coach the Wildcats in 2018 at age 78. It will be Snyder's 27th year at Kansas State, dating back to 1989 with a four-year hiatus in the mid-2000s. The Manhattan legend led KSU to a Cactus Bowl victory last week. Rich Rodriguez, a college coach that won't be returning next season. Arizona has fired Rich Rod after six seasons in the wake of a sexual harassment allegation and threat of a $7.5 million lawsuit filed against the school. The university says they want to go to a new direction. Rodriguez admitted to cheating on his wife but denies harassment claims. 15-year pro Carson Palmer is done with football. The former Heisman Trophy winner and number one overall pick said he, quote, just knew it was his time to retire. Palmer hangs it up 12th all-time in passing yards and touchdowns, spending time with the Bengals, Raiders, and Cardinals following a stellar college career at USC. Palmer out, Isaiah Thomas in. The last time we saw him in uniform, it was the Celtics green and white. Last night, Thomas's first appearance in the Cavs wine and gold after missing the first 36 games of the year, recovering from a torn labrum in his hip. Thomas dropped 17 points on 6 of 12 shooting in 19 minutes in Cleveland's 127 to 110 victory over the Blazers. Danny, what do you expect with Isaiah Thomas back in the lineup? Well, you know, Hannah, it was funny because I didn't have very high expectations. I thought Isaiah Thomas would be getting kind of serviceable minutes, like, hey, let's just work him back in slowly. I think they were saying he would play about eight minutes going into the game. And I was like, you know what? There's probably going to be a learning curve, getting used to the spacing of a new team and figuring out his role on the Cavs. And what he do? He goes out there and puts in, you know, 17 points or 19 minutes and really was – was spectacular like it's such a great story of a guy who's overcome so much I mean first of all he's five nine and he's out there you know balling within at the highest levels of the sport uh what he did last year in the Boston with his sister passing away mm-hmm. then gets the, the the surgery on his hip like the entire story 
is incredible. Like for, for him to do that, like I don't know why I'm surprised because he's overcome the odds at every step in his career, but he's one of the most likable guys too. Like because he's small, he's almost like this little teddy bear that you just want to hug and like bring him home with you. And he's like, like he smiles. Like a lot of players won't smile on the court. When he was introduced in the crowd game and standing ovation, like he had a smile on his face. And a lot of players like won't show that. Like it's not cool. And he just soaks it up. Like I thought that was really a cool moment. I agree. I think that was a really good moment, like in sports, to see the standing ovation. Like that's why people watch. You know, yeah. it gives you that warm feeling. You're like, oh yeah, this is why I watched. This. I thought the best thing the Celtics did too was to not play him tonight because he's rehabbing, and they could have held him out and started him tonight and made that be his comeback in Boston to go back. You know, it's where he played to get that standing ovation. But I thought this, the Cavs did a really smart thing. By having him do that, do it this way, because I think there would have been a temptation for Isaiah to go out there to put out even more effort, to be wanting to play more, to kind of force the issue, and it might have put him in a bad spot as far as his recovery. So I thought that was a really smart thing for the Cavs to do. But did you see what he's doing about the uh, the video tribute? The lack so, of so, yeah. So it does not want it. He does not want a video tribute. I think it's I think it's I'm totally okay with it. And I, I'm always I would always defer to the players vibe like what does he want and I think he's probably like hey I was traded I you know I just I don't I don't want that kind of love for me and my new team like I, I'm I'm a Cav now I don't want to be known as a Celtic anymore Wait, so, so I have no problem with it tonight? whatsoever yeah were they going to play it where they'll do it midway through through the game during a timeout okay and IT's on the bench probably going through a play with Tyron Lue and yeah. they play it and he's distracted from the game I think that's more of his point. You know what's the right, which is exactly like it's a it's a momentum like deal. Here's the thing too. He only played two and a half years in Boston. It's not like he's a lifer, like it's not like D Wade going back to the heat or something, you know? Those That's two true. and a half years I think for Boston fans felt like ten because of how meaningful he was and how lovable he was because of that smile, because of his stature and because of the success that they had in had in Boston. Um, Did the Heat do a, tri- a, a tribute video for Wade when he came back? No. Yeah. They did? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they Ever. did. Yeah, for sure. Like, they, they, they almost why do I, it Why am I missing this, like, video <laughs> tribute segment? Well, like, I picture the Heat, I think of D. Wade. Like, he's right. a face of an organization. Yeah. Now, they're not going to do it for LeBron. Right. That was another question I had. I'm like, <laughs> right. he changed he the game two in Miami, titles. but they Give still. Give him a tribute. Yeah, right. but they didn't do have... one for him, right? Right. Yeah, and I have no problem with that, but. For for I don't like I think I think it's a smart play I think I think like fans are emotional and they're like oh I want to do it I want to show him Who and I think cares? it was just a smart play for him he can do it in off season maybe does you know it's just there's different time to do that I, I agree. just but, think Isaiah hates Danny Ainge so much he doesn't <laughs> yes, want to give him any satis- to it too. satisfaction of the home crowd cheering absolutely which they will without a tribute but still. It's like yeah. kind of a selfish thing too, because then you get like literally the entire crowd cheering for you, not just like one team or the other. It's like everybody is supporting you, and it takes away from your team. It takes away yeah. from the momentum. I totally agree. It'll be fun to watch, no matter what. And I think the Cavs Celtics can be an incredible matchup, even without him, because I'm starting to wonder if the Cavs uh, are a lock for the finals, even with it back. I think the Celtics are making some moves and playing some good basketball. So let's see that. Raja will help us out with that one uh, when he gets back on Friday, uh, back for the show. The NFL, it is that time of year. We saw it a month ago with college football, with the crazy college, uh, the coaches carousel. It's on in the NFL now, and there were some surprises for sure, but none bigger than when Jack Del Rio, who's done a pretty good job, he's 25 and 23 in his three seasons in Oakland. He was 12 and four last year when they lost Derek Carr in the postseason. They'd just given Derek Carr this monster contract. Well, they said thanks, but no thanks because they feel. 
They have something better in John Gruden. And while I like John Gruden, I think this is such a reach for the Raiders that, that I, don't, I don't know how it's going to pan out. Maybe it works out well. But I think John Gruden is one of the most overrated coaches in NFL history. And it's not, it's not that he wasn't a good coach, but we make him out like he's this Hall of Famer, like he's a Belichick-type coach. And the simple fact is he just wasn't. And he's also pegged as this quarterback guru, which, again, he never worked with a young quarterback. He had Rich Gannon in Oakland, and he won the Super Bowl in Tampa with Tony Dungy's defense and Brad Johnson as a journeyman quarterback at that position. So Come I on, think some of the stuff— camp, of, though. What, he, oh, yeah, he's got to exactly. be a got, guru. Well, this is, where, this is what's amazing is that TV, how much TV has changed people's careers for the better. Like, guys have gotten so many opportunities. Look at John Lynch who I love. And John Lynch, I thought, would crush it with the 49ers, and he is. But he gets that job because he was a main analyst for Fox. He doesn't get that job if he just goes away and tries to work up his way through the ladder and be the, being a scout. And the same thing for Gruden. Like his, his reputation has been enhanced from the nine years he spent on ESPN, doing the quarterback camps, doing you know being this, this, this analyst on Monday Night Football. And good for him. I'm not knocking him. And I, I, really, like, I like him. But I think the fact they're backing up the truck for him, and I don't—he's not going to get ownership, which was a rumor that came out early. But I'll be—it's going to be like groundbreaking. Like I think people are going to their jaws are going to drop when they see the contract he gets. And if you were willing to do that, if you're the Raiders, why didn't you call up Sean Payton? Why didn't you call up uh, Pete Carroll? And hell, why didn't you call up Bill Belichick? If you're willing to do all these things to move the earth. Why not try some guys who have actually coached in the last decade, who might know some of the current trends? I think it's a fascinating experiment. I hope it works, but I just I think it's way too much to spend to get John Gruden out of the booth. Obviously, he's still connected to the game, being a broadcaster, being on Monday Night Football, having the uh, the show. But do you think after nine years, there's any difficulty going back into the locker room and connecting with players or connecting with assistant coaches? It seems like his assistant staff is going to be Pretty great, but um, do you think there's any difficulty going back into the league after nine years out of it? I think, Debo, the thing you hit on there, I think will be a bigger challenge. I don't think the X's and O's will. Like, guy preps, like, uh, insane. Like, he puts in the hours. He still wakes up at four, which is some crazy coaches do anyway because they're always watching film. He still has done that in the last nine years when he's doing TV. Like, funny, Funny story. So I did a whole season of college football with my crew and when you get assigned a crew in in television you work with them the entire year so you become this team this unit so you have a a producer a director a graphics guy a replay guy like you have this crew probably about 12 to 15 people who you travel with and work with the entire season so I had this entire season with this crew and I work with them and then for the bowl game ESPN bounced me out of the booth and they gave our crew John Gruden and Mike Tirico to call the game because it was in Tampa it was the Outback Bowl and I was like sure go ahead after John Gruden called that game I did another bowl there was another bowl after that one with my crew and they looked at me and they were like are you the laziest person ever because when they did the game with Gruden they said like his meeting schedule was insane like they ha- he had them attend like film study sessions uh with him to watch film like on tuesday before the game on saturday like they started ahead and i was like yeah it'd be nice if that was the only thing i was doing because i was at the time i was doing like a radio show and uh studio work for espn but like he approached every game 
as if he was the head coach. And I think all that will help him with the X's and O's, like not missing out on trends. But from the personality thing, I we we joked about millennials on our you know last episode of the year for 2017. I think players now have changed so much in the last decade. I think that'll be as by far bigger adjustment. Like players are more entitled. They question things more. They want to be treated differently. They don't just fall lockstep in line the way they did even a decade ago. Players are more politically outspoken. There are different challenges that coaches face in a locker room today. That will be the biggest challenge for John Gruden. You don't think Warren Sapp or guys like that had egos that he had to deal with? I do, but not to the extent that you see it today. And not, but like the Raiders, they're not known. And Derek Carr is a great leader for that locker room. And I don't know if there's any truth to this report, but just an example of some things he might have to deal with. Do you remember when there was a report about the anthem and the players were pissed at Derek Carr, so they let him get sacked on the offensive line? Uh, I think that was dumb. I don't know if it was true. But, for instance, what if that does happen? Like, what are you going to do with that situation? Um, I don't think there's that. Like, if it was the Seahawks, I'd be really worried for John Gruden because he's such a polar opposite from Pete Carroll. But there's going to be some instances. And you can, a lot of times, it used to be you could just cut those guys and get them out of there. But not so much anymore. You have to manage those egos. And I just, and even Sapp, as, as, as much as he was kind of a personality, he was a football guy, like who didn't care about politics, didn't care about anything off the field. Like he was a big, brash, outspoken guy, but he also produced. And I think that's the bottom line for Gruden. Like if you get a guy like that, he'll absolutely, like he'll, he'll produce for you. Like, and it, that won't be the problem. It'll be the kind of fringe guys who, who go out there and do that. So the other, the other story in coaching that I was surprised at, was Hugh Jackson going back to the Browns. Like, I, like he's, he's won one game in two years, and the Browns are like, yeah, looks good enough for us. <laughs> I mean, I do not understand it at all. He's mishandled the quarterbacks. Uh, he's 1-31. It just made no sense to me. Marvin Lewis also just got announced he's going to return to Cincinnati with the Bengals, another one that's kind of a head-scratcher. I think the problem with this is you look at the list of guys who keep getting fired, Pagano, gone. John Fox, gone. Jim Caldwell, gone. Bruce Arians retires. Um, all these coaches that are getting fired, you're seeing this carousel. I think teams are looking around saying, who else is out there? Like, there's not many options. And it's such a good old boys network, a fraternity of coaches. There's, no, there's not much innovation like the Rams showed by going to get Sean McVay, uh, you know, who's a baby at 31. Other teams aren't willing to take that risk, even though they probably should. And I think that's having a detriment on the college football landscape. And that's why some of these teams are stuck with the coaches they have. Yeah, so right now it looks like Josh McDaniels, Jim Schwartz could be some retreads. There's names out there like Matt Patricia that could get hired. Where should these owners be looking? Should they be looking innovatively? I know Lincoln Riley was kind of briefly mentioned um, as a potential jump to the NFL. I don't know so much after, after that Rose Bowl second half. But where should these teams be looking? They should, be, they should be scouring every corner, every office in the NFL. Like the, the fact that some of these names, like Josh McDaniels, he's the hot name right now. We saw it happen once with the Broncos, and we've seen like what happened. It was not good. Now, maybe he's learned. I'm all about guys getting a second chance. But the fact that he – the only reason he gets the name and the recognition and Matt Patricia, it's because teams are so dumb – that they just say, oh, the Patriots are good. Those guys must be good. You know what really helps the Patriots? Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Are they coming to your new franchise? Probably not. So good luck with Matt Patricia or, or Josh McDaniels. You have to be I, – like, I would look at a team 
Um, trying to think, because I was looking up, like Matt Nagy is a guy who's a, an offensive coordinator who's been working with Alex Smith under Andy Reid uh, for the Chiefs. He's, he's, a, he's a guy who I actually played arena football with. He was a teammate of mine. But like his name is starting to crop up. And I think you absolutely bring him in. You interview him. You see what's out there. Bring in 10 guys. Start, and don't just go to the broadcast booth. Like Don't say John Gruden is the savior. Don't try to get Jim Harbaugh out because he's the name. Everybody knows. Don't be afraid to try something new. And just, just to, not to try something new just because it's new, but sometimes these retreads are retreads for exactly that because they weren't that good in the first place. Have some creativity with some of the hires. That's, that's my biggest problem with it. But I think there's a very real reason why you're seeing some coaches like Jason Garrett, who's back in Dallas, Dirk Cutter, who there was some rumors there. They bring him back to Tampa Bay, Jay Gruden in Washington. It is because teams are scared of what's out there and the lack of viable candidates, which I think is a real problem. And it's why teams are getting stuck out there. And it's also it's like the same with quarterbacks, like coaches and quarterbacks are not sitting on every corner. But sometimes you have to be willing to take a risk. And I don't think enough teams are willing to do that. So the NFL also has the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The uh, candidates were announced the other day. And I've Randy Moss, first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. Uh, Ray Lewis is going to be in first ballot, no doubt. The thing I can't wait to watch is Terrell Owens and see what happens with him, who was snubbed the last year. It's sort of a joke because he absolutely has Hall of Fame numbers. And it's really just the media and everybody who doesn't like him saying, maybe you shouldn't have been such a jerk. <laughs> That's basically what it boils down to. And I think it's catty and I think it's stupid, but I kind of am fascinated by it. The fact that T.O. keeps getting screwed over. Do you think it's because of his impact on the locker room? That's garbage. Like people just don't like him. Like, yes, he was a, a handful to deal with. But if the Hall of Fame is supposed to be for the best players in the National Football League, he should absolutely be in. Like, and if you went... It's like when you talk about the Heisman Trophy and they talk about, oh, it's character. So we'd be worried about Baker Mayfield's off field. No, it's supposed to be the best player in the country. And that's what the Hall of Fame is for. If you looked at every Hall of Famer that's in there right now, I guarantee you they weren't all just peachy in the locker not, room. There were some guys in there that were not fun to deal with. It's about being the best players. They might not have been doing sit-ups in their driveways, but they still might have been <laughs> jerks in the locker room. That's, that's true. All right, I need to have some fun. Let's do some topics. What you guys got for me? So here we go. Hannah, unfortunately, just had to leave us. So that's very unfortunate considering we're about to do a story on the Buffalo Bills. Oh, no. So we'll have to get her take on this later. But Bills Mafia, when they aren't lighting themselves on fire or jumping through tables or pouring ketchup over themselves or drinking copious amounts of alcohol, Bills Mafia donating money? So Buffalo won on Sunday, but they needed help from Cincinnati to reach the playoffs for the first time since 1999, and they got that help from Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton as he delivered a 49-yard game-winning touchdown pass on 4th and 12 to beat the Ravens and boost the Bills to the postseason. The Mafia, well, they're appreciative. So much so, they started donating to Andy Dalton's charity, which helps kids with serious illnesses and special needs. The Red Rocket has tweeted out that over $170,000 has been raised. And with that, Hannah, in a timely manner, steps back yes. to the studio. Right. I have like two minutes to spare she, and listen. She do this for Bill's, I heard, this so Bill's, Bill's Mafia. I heard Bill's money. Mafia across the, the studio and I was running. No, listen, <laughs> Bill's Mafia is the most lovable mafia out there. Like, I don't know how anybody could love a fan base less. No, more. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, I, I am sorry. I I'm just so excited that I'm butchering everything. No, listen, I just think it's the coolest thing. Obviously, it's been 
it's been a long time for Bill's Mafia, and they are just so excited. I think it's cool that they sent the Bengals a buttload of chicken wings. I think it's cool that they're supporting Andy Dalton. I mean, they are really just going all out. And who knows how long this is going to last, right? We might get (laughs) totally killed against the Jaguars. So I think it's cool that right off the bat, they're so positive. Yeah, I'm surprised there was any money left over from the medical bills from jumping off those trailers and jump breaking tables that there was any money left over. But seriously, it is really cool that they did that. And this is like one of my favorite things of sports, how it brings people together who might otherwise hate each other and there's fierce rivalries and they you know they talk all this trash and they, you know, are willing to fight in the stands, but when something's in need and they see an opportunity, they can do stuff like this. It's really cool. We had the epic J.J. Watt stuff earlier this season. It's one of the things that's the best part about sports. I love it. It, it might stop if they lose to the Jaguars on Sunday <laughs> and they stop thinking Andy Dalton. But still, $170,000 props to Bill's Mafia. So, Danny, we're going to return a segment within a segment here. We're going to do What the F Are They Wearing with our fashion guru, Danny Cannell. And we have some new theme music for right. What the F Are They Wearing this week. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain! I can't hear you! Aye, aye, Captain! So, do you have any idea where I'm about to go with this? I have no idea. You have $3. I do. SpongeBob looking to go above sea level tonight as the Sixers G League affiliate, the Sevens, will be rocking SpongeBob-inspired uniforms. Tops, bottoms, and all, and... They're pretty spot on. Check out the picture on our Twitter page, at Canel and Bell. We've seen this in minor league baseball, some wacky unis, but it's making its way to the hardwood. Danny, would you ever play in something that looked like this? Heck no. I would not. I would call in sick. I would go on a 15-day disabled list. I would do whatever it took to it. These are the dumbest-looking uniforms I think I've ever seen. Like, seriously. Like, I get it. You're trying to create some attention to the league, which they clearly have. I get it's the G League, it's not the NBA, but there's you have to draw a line somewhere. Like if you're gonna go cartoon, at least do a cool cartoon. Like don't do SpongeBob, right? Do you, you like with? these? I mean, I gotta support my team. That's my G League team. <laughs> oh, is that? I didn't know people had G League teams now. You know, I know you're Philly boy, but I mean that's kind of ridiculous. So you have you you're saying you have to like these unis? No, they're they're garbage. Which which cartoon would you go with if you had to make some uh, cartoon inspired? Uniforms. I would go with something like Batman and Robin, I like, like something, that. something a cool classic one. Uh, Tom and Jerry, there's too much. It has to be something unified. Uh, but see, that's the thing. SpongeBob, they can all be together. Woody Woodpecker, that was my favorite growing up. These are all way before your time. Like you probably don't even know what these are. What I know Batman exist. and Superman, Danny. Oh, see, there you go. See, I like, like, why not something like that where you're a hero, not like this dorky, weird underwater creature well the seven guess what? the seven's <laughs> the worst team in the g league they'll be looking probably oh. even worse tonight uh, yes. interested to see what they look like in those though so um from spongebob to rappers cursing players a nice transition there things seem too good at the moment for lakers rookie kyle kuzma he's averaging 17 and a half points per game with a solid shot at winning rookie of the year but he might be cursed so rapper will be big yeah. fan danny What's that? Yeah, huge fan. Big fan. Well known for putting his Twitter hex on athletes. Let's hope he doesn't put any Twitter hex on you with your, your resolution. But he found out that Kuz tweeted, Lil B, worst rapper ever. That was back in 2011, and it was since deleted. So he's on this list, which used to include Kevin Durant and James Harden. Lil B lifted that on Kevin Durant, and he finally won. 
Do you believe in the based God curse? I ain't saying nothing bad about the dude. <laughs> I think he's the best rapper ever. I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it on me. I'm superstitious. I used to wear the same undershirt. I used to try to get dressed the same way. I'd eat the same thing before uh, games. There is no way I would mess with it. I would just say everything nice about Lil B. I would not do anything. I would not mess with it. Would you? Would you challenge him? No. Heck no. Like, I don't even want to, I don't want to jinx our podcast. There's history there. No. <laughs> Let's make it clear right now off the bench with Canel and Bell supports Lil B and his yes. efforts in the Hell, we, we'll take an endorsement from Lil B. Maybe and that, we, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll take that. And we would love to fans. have you on the podcast. Yeah, have him on the podcast. And if he allows us without us having to pay rights, we'll use some of his music on here if we can just clean it up a little bit. How's speaking, that? Speaking of Twitter, absolutely. We need to get Justin Thomas on the pod. He he's hating on you. Seriously, he's. But you know what he is? He's a typical Bama fan. That's what he is. Because he always comes at me, and he had to come talk some trash, gloating in their victory. I don't hate Bama. That's the thing. I just hate the system, which they have been the biggest beneficiaries of since it's been started. Like I don't. I think I I want to play him in golf, and if he if he beats me, I get some shots. If he beats me, I will never say anything bad about Alabama or challenge them again. How many shots aside do you think I'd need? I think three or four side would be fair. Really? And I think I could hang with him. On a, a professional course? <laughs> I might have to play from different tees, too, just to kind of even out the length. But I'm getting old. Like I, I'm not saying the that, senior tees, but maybe cool. like one tee box up. You, just, you hate the fact that you're traveling to the national championship game and both fan bases are oh. going to hate you. It's going to be – like, like I hope I have security split. there. I don't think uh, – Georgia fans, I don't – well, yeah, they probably do hate me. I they think probably SEC's do. just grouped together, right? Yeah. I used, to, I used to always give a lot of love to Georgia because I thought with Mark Rick they were going to win. I picked them like three years in a row to win the SEC, and then I jump off and they go freaking win the thing and might win the championship. That's my luck. We're going to have so. a lot more college football championship uh, preview on, on the show, but I wanted to end the show with something we did at the top. We know about your Twitter resolution. Any other resolutions in 2018 for Danny Cannell? Yeah, I have one. What I'm going to read more and stay off my screens. Read more Twitter? No, that's part of staying off the screens. I'm not reading any more Twitter. Like, that's the thing I should do is just stop checking my mentions because it's depressing and it makes me feel like a, a loser and a jerk. I'm going to start reading more actual material books anything like newspapers up? i'm going old school like i think i think the like as much as we talk about cte and the impact it could have on the future of the nfl and all these players we have this massive social experiment going on with our youth that is social media that's ipads that's iphones that we have no idea the impact on sorry to get serious on you debo but i am worried about that so i'm going to start i'm going to start unplugging a little bit more although if I'm doing that, I'm, I'm failing miserably at that, too. So I guess I'm just like everybody else who loses out on their New Year's resolution. I like it. That's an admirable resolution. I hope that goes better. I can't say that I'll be doing the same. <laughs> All right. And I don't want any of our listeners to do the same either because they need to start listening to podcasts that download, and put ours subscribe. on there. So, <laughs> All right. So let's wrap it up. Uh, Friday, Raza's back. We'll get some NBA stuff because now with the NFL season starting to get the playoffs, college football winding down, we'll get some more NBA talk with him. We'll do our picks and props. It's our favorite segment. Debo always comes up with some good uh, props. Make sure you check us out. Subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere the podcasts are. Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter, at Canel and Bell. Debo holds it down. 
In case he's, he's taking care of the heat, uh, haters. I, almost, I think I need to let you take over my personal Twitter feed, and maybe that'll help me be more likable on Twitter. Maybe that's a solution. But if you go to iTunes and if you subscribe to us, leave a five-star review. When you do, ask us your questions. Put a question in there as opposed to a review or a review and a question. That'd be even better. Ask us a question. We're going to answer them every Friday on our five-star Q&A. Thanks for checking out the pod. Look forward to hearing you guys Friday.